Welcome to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast from the Institute of Transportation Engineers. Each month, we'll bring you conversations with thought leaders in transportation on the future of the industry. Welcome to ITE Talks Transportation. My name is Bernie Wagenblast. Our guest today is Paul Scutellis. He's the president and CEO of APTA, the American Public Transportation Association. This month's episode is especially timely because we're going to be talking about COVID-19 and its impact on public transportation. Now, this is a, a quickly changing situation, so I want to know when we are recording this interview. It's April 9th, so between now and when this is actually released at the end of April, things might change a bit, but I think it'll still be timely at that point. And Paul, I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us on ITE Talks Transportation. Well, thank you, Bernie. It's great to join you. Thank you for giving this opportunity to uh, chat with you. One of the things, obviously, with COVID-19, it affects virtually every facet of our lives. And obviously, public transit is no exception. In fact, public transit is probably one of the hardest hit sectors when it comes to uh, the transportation business and business in general. Now, you're someone who has a, a broad perspective on what's happening with the transit industry and was hoping that you could give us some insights where things stand with the transit systems across the U.S. right now as far as COVID-19 is concerned. Thank you, Bernie, for that. Well, certainly, this is just an unprecedented time that we find ourselves in. It's incredible to think back just less than a month ago when we seemed to be humming along with a good, vibrant economy. Our transit industry was doing quite well. And lo and behold, uh, with the, the oncoming here of this pandemic crisis, it's really turned the world upside down, literally. And it's done so for public transportation as well. This is, uh, I think, by no stretch, uh, the most devastating impact on the industry that we have seen and certainly that I have witnessed in my lifetime. We're not alone, obviously. There's so many other industries that are equally as impacted. Right now, the industry is uh, providing what we refer to as essential transit services, a very minimal level of skeletal services to meet the needs of those who must get to work, the essential workforce. Those are the people that have to get to nursing facilities, to hospitals, to the grocery store, to provide jobs and access for our grocery store clerks, for our pharmacy clerks, really, in truth, all the people who have to get to work so we can continue to live our lives day in and day out are those who public transit is transporting today. And by virtue of all the declarations, both at the national and local levels, we are told to stay home. And so people are doing that. They're doing it well. They're keeping out of the mix with others in order to keep this pandemic from spreading. Uh, and so as a result, virtually by demand and by design, our uh, transportation agencies are simply carrying the very few people that need to be carried every day. As a result, ridership is down by some 90%. So the agencies are incurring great costs to continue cleaning the vehicles, disinfecting them, taking all the necessary precautions. But it's been and continues to be a very trying time where the demand is not there for obvious reasons, yet the costs and the implications of trying to continue to run a system are very high. One of the impacts, I think, that a lot of people don't necessarily think of, it's not just the ridership is dropping, but the staffing levels are obviously being affected by a number of people who have come down with COVID-19, the coronavirus. How are transit agencies dealing with that, still trying to provide some level of essential service, but at the same time, 
having to deal with a number of their staff people that are going to be out because either they have the virus or have been exposed to it. This is a very real issue for the agencies. Now, you have New York, which is the largest transportation authority, of course, in the country, carrying some 8 million people a day, at least up until the crisis. They now have lost uh, some 43 individuals' fatalities uh, as a result of the virus. Many other agencies have not had quite the fatalities, thank goodness, but they've had their employees contracted with the disease. And what that's meant is those individuals have to be quarantined and anybody coming in near contact with them to be quarantined. So many of the agencies are finding it difficult to provide the level of staffing to continue to operate the buses and the trains and demand the stations that's necessary. If this continues to go on for a protracted period, I think there will be a number of them that will be very hard-pressed to continue operations. We've had a couple organizations, agencies that have shut down pieces of their system. So, for example, in Santa Clara County, California, they shut down their light rail system as a result of an employee testing positive and all of those who may have come in contact with that employee. In Salem, Oregon, a much smaller system It actually shut down for about a week because it did not have the manpower to be able to pick up and operate services. They're now back in operation. But this is a very real issue and stress point for the agencies. One of the other ways, I guess, that's that's a challenge for the transit agencies is you talk about this reduced demand that obviously is there. But at the same time, there's a need to spread out the riders that they are carrying. And how do you do both at the same time, reduce the demand, but not to such a level that people are going to be packed in or closer than six feet to each other. That's very true. And under the current scenario where we're asked again only to provide transit, if you're an essential employee, essential worker, what many agencies are doing is trying to add some additional service to the degree that they can so they can have less crowded buses and less crowded trains. For example, one of the things that a number of the agencies are doing is from on the bus side is rear door entry so that uh, in normal cases, you know, the, the rider gets on at the bus at the front of the bus will pay the fare in order to minimize and to eliminate that interaction between the driver and the rider. The agencies are going to a rear board entrance where they can avoid that interchange and, in fact, are waving and not, not even collecting fares. So they're doing what they can to minimize that interaction. And again, with those that have been able to add more service to allow for those who are riding to be more spaced out than to be so closer together. Back at the end of March, the president signed into law the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, also known as the CARES Act. That's going to provide $25 billion for transit agencies across the country. How are they going to allocate those funds to local, state, national levels? Obviously, a lot of different agencies would like to be able to get a piece of that $25 billion. And do you think that $25 billion is going to be enough given the toll that this crisis is taking on these transit agencies? Yeah, we have worked really hard as an association representing our members in the industry to work towards that appropriation. We were very pleased that Congress and the administration, the president, came together to agree on an appropriation level for public transportation, the $25 billion that you referenced, that is a welcome uh, relief. Those dollars were flowed directly to the transit agencies. In some cases, for the very smallest of systems that serve rural areas, they'll go to the states to be distributed. And those dollars are welcome relief in the immediate and the very short term because they give the agencies an opportunity to catch their breath, to stabilize their operations, 
to continue to do all the necessary robust cleaning that's necessary on their vehicles and stations and really begin to think about how we come out of this after this crisis into the recovery. But the $25 billion has been very welcome. It remains to be seen how long that will provide relief for the agencies because the overarching question here is how long will this crisis endure? Are we about to get back to work or to some degree of normalcy within the next few weeks or is it several months? If this becomes a protracted event, then I think we're going to have difficulties where the agencies will need more help. One of the things, obviously, when we do get to the point of recovery, transit is going to be key in getting people back to work from what they've been doing now, primarily working from home for the most part. But at the same time that they're trying to bring back transit, it's going to be maybe a bit of a challenge to ramp up ridership. How do you see agencies restoring service? You know, what we've witnessed here has been such a big event in terms of the upheaval that it's caused for the economy. We literally have just flipped the switch from a robust economy to almost a full stop. And so getting the economy back, getting people back to work, getting kids back to school, feeling comfortable going to a restaurant to have a meal, uh, going to a ballpark or to a a stadium to see an activity, those are all the things that public transportation does. It really helps people get on with their life's activities. So in the beginning here, when we come out of this crisis, I imagine it's going to be a very slow, gradual comeback for us as an economy. And I think that the transit comeback will be equally slow, if not slower, because it has to then really match the demand. But as people do get back to work, transit will continue to play a very vital role as a lifeline service and essential service to get people to where they need to go. You know, when we think about travel, not everyone can travel by automobile today. Uh, Not everyone can afford a car. And public transportation plays a very vital role from the standpoint of making sure that the services we provide are equitable. Anybody can use it, any demographic, any income level. And I expect that as the economy begins to come back, and it will one day, the question is when, uh, as it begins to come back, transit too will respond to that, to meet that demand, to make sure that people have a way to get around. It's important to our environment. It's important to our economy. And our agencies, I know, are already thinking about that. We will be launching here over the next week or two a special task force nationally to look at this recovery. What's the plan look like? How do we do it? How do we market those services again? What is it we have to do to make sure that we gain the confidence of the public that it's both safe to use the system, the systems that exist, and that they're going to be safe in traveling on them? So we have a lot of work ahead of us. But again, we're not alone in this. Every industry is facing the same challenges uh, and so I know our industry will up to the ta- be up to the task, but there's a lot, a lot of long road to go. Paul, I want to ask you a little bit about one of the points you just made. You talked about getting back the public's confidence in terms of coming back to public transportation. How do you think that's going to be done? How, how are we going to get people feeling comfortable once again, going back on trains and buses and light rail, et cetera? You know, again, what I would say is this is very much in line with any of the other activities that I mentioned a moment ago, whether it's going to a restaurant, will we be comfortable? Will we be comfortable going to a ballpark and sitting next to someone at a ball game? So these are all all the questions that all of us are going to grapple with. I think that the key here will be the kind of progress that we make on the health side, the medical side. Are we able to identify a treatment that can address this issue, this virus? Are we able... Uh, in short order, if not immediately down the road, to come up with a vaccine that takes care of this. I believe all those things will happen. Those will go a long way to assuring the public 
that we have control over this health issue. By the time we get there, though, that I think the public transit industry, as well as these other industries, will need to come up with remedial measures, short-term measures. Perhaps it's uh, directions that the CDC will give us about masks. Perhaps they will be checking people as they go to their place of employment or business. I think that we're going to have to, as an industry, keep very close to the guidance that the health experts will provide us with and try to implement those and tailor those to our particular business and industry. You mentioned that before all this started happening in February, I guess, was when we really started focusing on this and things started to shut down. Many transit agencies were having wonderful years. Some agencies had been reporting record-breaking years in terms of ridership and things of that sort, but obviously that is on pause for the moment. One of the things that's gone along with that quick change has been people now learning to work from home. Do you think that when we do return to normal, that there will be as many riders taking transit? Or will people, you think, to some degree, still be looking at working from home as uh, maybe, uh, if not a full-time solution, uh, doing it several days a week, let's say? Well, you know, I think there's no question that given uh, what we're now doing, working remotely in our whole office, like many are working remotely because of necessity, I think that will continue from some time. But I do believe that, you know, we're human creatures, we're human beings. Uh, We really do, I believe, want to be with other people, whether our business colleagues, whether it's entertainment and such. So I think in due time, we're going to see that movement back. I certainly think that teleworking has its role, and it's been around for a long time. I think that people will adapt to that where it makes sense for them, but there's an awful lot of the workforce where that's not possible. They really need to be at the site to do their work, whether you're talking about construction laborers, whether you're talking about public transit employees, whether you're talking about restaurant workers and the such. People need to be there to conduct their business. So I think we're going to see some adaptation, and I believe it'll come gradually over time as we gain confidence as a society that we can once again go back to do the kinds of things that we enjoy, kind of things that are really part of our life. I'd like to say, you know, as human beings, we don't just want to exist. We want to live. Living means partaking Mm -hmm. of what life has to offer. That's where all transportation and certainly public transportation plays a critical role. We help get people to where they need to be. The freedom of choice of being moving about and doing what they need to do in in their day's work. I certainly know from my own family's experiences, our daughter can't wait for their kids to go back to school, (laughs) you know? And so, you know, life has to find its way back to some degree of normalcy. Getting the kids back in school is key. Freeing up time as parents perhaps to do some other things. All of those things from a social nature are going to have a role to play in, in how quickly we adapt back to some of the other things that we've become accustomed to. I suppose if you try to look for a silver lining in some of this, one of those is that it's giving public transportation agencies an opportunity to catch up on some work while ridership is down and there are less vehicles on the rails, on the roads, et cetera. For instance, I saw New Jersey Transit, an article about them, that this may give them an opportunity to do more work on their positive train control, other transit agencies able to take advantage What are some of the agencies doing to take advantage of the fact that there are less riders, less trains, less buses, et cetera, on the roads? Well, that's an excellent point. In fact, that is happening. You mentioned NJ Transit. 
uh, and they've got a big job to get completion of their positive train control implementation, which has to be done by the end of this calendar year. And you're right, they're taking full advantage of operating much reduced service levels in order to put out more work activity to get that done. And that really is happening across the country uh, at transit agencies, and it's happening uh, with the state's Department of Transportation as well. Uh, I've heard a number of instances where work is being accelerated, taking advantage of this period, this lull that we're having in terms of traffic. And so the agencies that are in a position to do that are, in fact, doing just that. I've only heard of one instance at the moment, and that is in Seattle Sound Transit, which has a major construction program going on. They put a pause on some of their construction activities for 30 days, due in large measure because of the workforce, uh, having a number of people who have been tested positive and, and have really created an issue of putting a pause on that work effort. But by and large, agencies are looking for things that need to be done the things that we call state of good repair, making sure their facilities, their equipment is in good running order and taking advantage of this time to do that kind of work. It also, I believe, gives them a bit of a time to reflect on how we come out of this crisis. And that's what we'll be working with our members over the next number of weeks and months, looking at the kinds of things that we can be doing to help the agencies along, thinking a little more strategically about how we can get prepared to provide the levels of service necessary to meet the demands of the communities. We talked about the CARES Act providing $25 billion allocation that can be used for public transportation, but there are other funding sources that are also being impacted by this. Obviously, many transit agencies get funding through sales taxes, gas taxes, all of those obviously suffering big losses as far as how much money is coming in. Do you think that those are going to be bouncing back when the economy reopens, or is that going to be a, a gradual ramp up as well? And how are transit agencies going to adapt to perhaps reduced funding levels that will be available? No question about it. That was one of our key measures as we formulated a request to Congress on the kind of funding that was necessary. As you just indicated, in addition to the fares that are collected from people who ride the services, all of these agencies have tax support in some form. Sales taxes are one of the most prevalent. And again, as we know, the economy has come to a grinding halt. There's just not much business activity as there was a month ago. So those sales tax receipts, as they start coming in, are going to have a big impact in terms of what monies will be available for the agencies. In fact, I just just heard a few moments ago where New York State's announced that it faces a $12 billion hole just in its state budget as a result of the business activity decline. So as a country, we have a huge task in front of us uh, how to deal with this. I can tell you that one of the things that I think that uh, is really key to this, and we're advocating very, very strongly with Congress and the administration, now is the time to invest in infrastructure. You know, over the last few years, we've heard across the board, Republicans, Democrats, the administration, Congress talk about the importance of infrastructure. Uh, Number one, to make sure that it's in good operating conditions, modern, and we've got a a ways to go there from just our road system to the public transit network, Uh, but also its ability to create jobs, long-lasting jobs, and jobs of real value. So we believe there's sentiment and support for such an infrastructure investment bill this year, And in my view, now is the best time to do it uh, so we can infuse those dollars into the economy, get the agencies creating the kinds of projects that will hire construction workers, create jobs as we begin to come out of this economy. So it's a critical force. The other point I would make is that transportation investments do create a lot of economic good and activity. You know, for every dollar that's invested, there's a $5 return. This is what the economists have determined through the studies that have been done. So we're looking at an investment 
of about 178 billion in transit over the next five years that we'd like congressional support for. And that would return over 800 billion dollars in economic activity to the communities. That's the kind of thinking I think that we need and the kind of action that we need to get this economy back up and running again, uh, as we all hope it will very soon. Are you optimistic that Congress and the White House will be able to come to an agreement as far as infrastructure funding goes? You know, I'm a glass half full guy. So yes, (laughs) I am optimistic. I think the facts are so compelling. And this has, again, been something that from a policy standpoint has had general support through Congress and with the administration. Uh, In many respects, it's a no-brainer. These are really, really important investments to make in the country's future. And because of the difficulties that we're facing now economically, now is the right time to do it to help jumpstart this economy. So I'm very hopeful that uh, we'll be able to get this accomplished. Well, we've been talking today on the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast with Paul Scutellis. He is the president and CEO of the American Public Transportation Association, also known as APTA. Paul, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Well, it's my pleasure. I've enjoyed it. And thank you for giving me the time with you.